Hi, everybody. It's Graham Rahal, and you need more front wing. As always, I'm going to let him say hello this time because he always complains that I never actually let him speak up and be, be present in these uh, early parts of the show when we have a few different people to talk to. So, hi, Paul. Hi. How are I you doing? Complain. Do I complain? Really? Oh, no. Paul's not a complainer. I am a very happy-go-lucky type of person. <laughs> So we've got or something like that. <laughs> so we've got a very busy and action-packed show for you today. We're going to start by talking to um, Sarah Fisher Hartman Racing's Joseph Newgarden and catch up with him. We're also going to spend some time going over the the rumors in the uh, in the mill of the IZOD IndyCar series of late, specifically referring to drivers and um, 2014 schedule rumors, where they stand up to this point, and uh, probably talk a little bit about that test that happened at Sonoma today as well. Um, not a whole lot of news having come out of that, but certainly enough for us to chat about. And we'll finish up by talking to um, the confirmed champion of the 2013 Pro Mazda season, Matthew Brabham, who pretty much mopped the floor with the entire field all season long. So definitely looking forward to catching up with him and seeing what he expects to get out of um, the rest of this season and uh, where he looks to be uh, to be headed going forward. But before we do all that, let's catch up with Joseph Newgarden, the driver of the number 67 machine for Sarah Fisher Hartman Racing. Really uh, interesting chat with Joseph about a couple of uh, key moments um, thus far in his season. We, we talked specifically about Brazil and um, his uh, interactions, shall we say, uh, late in the race with uh, with one Takuma Sato and um, some of the fallout from that. And, and Joseph had some very interesting opinions on that that uh, maybe we'll discuss a little bit uh, after we talk to him. Um, also talked about his fifth place result at Pocono. Pretty surprising um, outcome for, for a small team. Maybe uh, maybe not one that you would expect to see toward the front, a, a track that was sort of uh, an unknown and, um, and, and with a a super speedway not really being a track where you expect to see a small team have a have a breakout result. So we talked about those things and um, where he's looking in his career for his um, short and long term future and what he hopes to get out of having um, ALMS champion Lucas Luer as his teammate for the upcoming race at Sonoma. So lots to catch up on with Joseph. Let's do that right now. Steph Walcraft of MoreFrontWing.com here with Joseph Newgarden of Sarah Fisher Hartman Racing. Joseph, thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Great. Uh, let's start with just a sort of general impression of how you feel at this point in your sophomore year in the IndyCar Series. Your results are starting to improve, uh, definitely, generally speaking, looking stronger than last year. So can you just give us a, sort of a general overview of where you're feeling at this stage? Well, 2013 has been, for sure, a better season for us at uh, Fairfish Hartman Racing. Uh, Results-wise, they've definitely been a large improvement from 2012. Uh, we've had a couple top fives, you know, five top tens, uh, so not horrendously chatty whatsoever, but certainly not what we're looking for. We want to be, you know, regularly contending for podiums and wins, and uh, that's that's really our goal. That's the only reason we're, we're in the series. It's the only reason we do it is, is to be hopefully winning races um, and, and being a regular contender at the front. So we still got a little ways to go, but I think points-wise we've been able to do a good job of managing each weekend and trying to maximize 
points as best as possible. So I've been I've been happy with that, but we still have that little bit extra to to try and find and and hopefully get a little bit more consistency uh, in the future. That's been the biggest thing for us. We've just not been able to consistently get good point scoring results and, and getting ourselves right to the top. So that's what we're still working on. It's a long process, but. You know, if it was if it was super easy, then I think everyone would be in this game. So it's it's not an easy easy time running Indy cars, and specifically in this championship right now, with all the teams and the drivers that are in it. So you got to put all the work in to try and get the results. Sure. Uh, let's rewind a little bit and talk about the race at Brazil because that was a big one for you when you came so close. You were right in that uh, battle for for the win toward the end and then there was the issue that came up with Takuma Sato and uh, at least one driver James Hinchcliffe uh, spoke up in your defense after that and said that um there were there were some uh, there was some questionable officiating and if if it had been played out the way that some drivers felt it should that you would have had your first win at that race can you sort of think back on how that all went and what your emotions were at the time and your opinions on how it played out uh, Brazil was just another one of those races. We had a, a good car. It was a pretty good weekend for the most point, part. Uh, we actually ended up having an engine issue. We never even got to qualify. Well, I think we had probably one of the quickest cars around that place. And so we didn't qualify. We ended up starting right at the back, you know, after we changed engines. And then we marched our way right to the front and, you know, had a great car at the end, pretty, pretty quick. Uh, there's a couple things we were still battling in the end of that race, but. You know, the moment when it came down to really Taku and me fighting for the win, there was basically a window that we, we were able to do that. And we, we had broken away on the final restart, and it was basically a battle between us two. And once we started commencing that battle, there was only so much time you were going to have there between the two of you before everyone else caught up. Because once you start battling, you start slowing down. You're going, you know, significantly slower than you would if you're running uh, laps that are flat out and, and instead of trying to battle a guy. So... Uh, we, we really only had four four or five laps to try and sort it out between us, and then everyone caught back up. Inchcliffe was, was on our tail, and then we had Marco uh, kind of joining on the train as well, and then finally Oriol Servia. So uh, I wasn't able to do the, the maneuver I wanted around Takumatado, but at the same time, it was also a very difficult situation. There wasn't there wasn't any room to really throw anything away. We we needed a, a consistent finish. We needed points. Uh, we we're going into Indianapolis the next the next weekend, so uh, finishing the race strongly was priority number one. So you know we we didn't win the race, but you know I think part of that can be attributed to to the style that I chose to to try and drive Takuma, and it's one of those races where you know you you take what you what you can from it. We ended up finishing fifth, which you know probably wasn't extremely representative of of what our pace was, but it was a solid finish, and that gave us good momentum going into to Indianapolis as what and what's what what was needed. That was the crucial thing to get. So, you know the the way Takuma drove and and everything that he used defensively and his stylistic approach to that that that's what sparked a lot of interest from everyone and. There was there was a lot of concern over him blocking and, and being too excessive with blocking. I didn't see it necessarily that way. I don't think I drove him aggressively enough. I don't think I I really uh, put put full effort into him. And I, I don't want that to come off the wrong way. But it, it, there was a there was a certain situation there where I I, I kind of felt like it was more important to to secure a good result instead of throwing something away and putting too much risk into it. So uh, I I wasn't too concerned about the way he drove. I was almost surprised at how everyone else reacted more so than myself. It seemed like everyone else was, you know, in a, in a pall of what he had done. So, 
I guess I'll just leave it at that. If the, if the situation presents itself again, I'll I'll definitely be driving a little bit differently towards them, and uh, I probably won't take that as cautious an approach again. Very interesting insight. Thank you very much for that. Um, let's also look at your other top five finish this season uh, at Pocono, which I think would have surprised a number of people to have a, a small independent team like Sarah Fisher, Hartman Racing, uh, and you as a second-year driver having such a strong result with really no data to draw on as some of the larger and older, more established teams in the series would have. Can you sort of look back on that weekend and uh, everything that went well with, that led to that fifth-place result? Pocono was a, a good racetrack for us. We really did a great job sorting out the cars, handling, and figuring out how to make it work well in traffic, and that was really our priority. We've had a little bit of a weakness in some of the other ovals with that aspect of the car, and it's been difficult for us to, to fully figure out by ourselves. But I think Pocono, we, we did a great job of that. Um, we had our own issues again in that, that sort of setting. Um, we, we, we were fighting a couple things that, that were – uh, basically working against us on that weekend and on the race, but from a car perspective, we, we had a really good handling car, and that that made it easier for myself when I did find myself in traffic and other people were falling off. We fought, we fell off just that little bit less than everyone else, and that that really helped us, you know, work our way to the front. And I, I think there securing that top five result was was definitely something uh, that that was was attributed fully to what we had done with the development of the car and the way it was working in the traffic. And it, was a, it was just a good team effort. They had done a good job all weekend. We had good pit stops for the most part. Um, so, you know, it was, it was a great team effort to try and secure that with, with being a one-car team and having, you know, the resources that we do have and, and everything that we have to our disposal. Everyone just did a great job of maximizing what they could. Right. And uh, let's come a little bit forward again and look at this past weekend at Mid-Ohio. You were P1 in the session on Saturday morning, and then things just sort of seemed to fall out from under you and the team a little bit. Can you review that weekend as well? Well, being P1 in, in session, uh, in the practice session three, you know, to the, to the run from pole, I think a lot of people, that that almost uh, shows exactly what the racing world's all about. People get very excited for those sorts of deals, and you know, when you see someone as as first in the session, you get automatically excited, and people automatically assume, and they go basically directly off of a result. So whatever they see on a timesheet is the way they paint their picture. You know, clear and simple. That's exactly how people look at racing. So I think it's almost a good example to show the way people perceive things during race weekends. And and for us, that session was. You know, it was a very up and down session. It rained at the beginning. The track was drying. It, you know, it was a half damp, half dry track that, that dried up at the end. Um, there was yellows that had come out, and then it ended with a red flag. So it wasn't really a full session with, you know, representable results. We did a good job, and we got our lap in exactly how we needed to, and so we ended up first in the session. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that's that's where you're running and that's what your actual pace is. So... For us going into qualifying, we knew we still had work, and we, we definitely had things to do, and we probably just made a couple direction changes that, that went the wrong way, and it ended up biting us in qualifying, and we didn't have the, the smoothest run that we could have, and that really compromised us for the race, and we ended up starting in the back, and, you know, starting 18th is, is not where you really want to be around mid-Ohio, which is a very tough place to pass, which, which people know. So in the race, we had our work cut out for us, and I think a top 10 realistically would have been a great result for us if we could have pulled that off. But then we ended up having a mechanical issue with the rear of the car and going two laps down. So, yeah, it kind of did fall apart. But, um, you know, there was 
there was probably some sparks and things that, that could have been uh, better around that place, and I think a top 10 is, is probably what we were going to be looking for around there, which would have been great points towards our championship race. Right. Looking ahead now, uh, you are no doubt looking forward to the next event where you're going to have a teammate and a very uh, experienced and valuable one at that at Lucas uh, in Lucas Luer uh, joining you in the second car at Sarah Fisher Hartman for Sonoma. Can you um, give us an idea of what sorts of things you'll be looking to him for in terms of uh, doing some of your own development that weekend? Lucas is an incredible driver, really a fascinating guy to get to know. Uh, I'm just extremely excited to have a teammate alongside me for a race weekend. And Sonoma is probably the perfect place we could get that because that was our weakest track last year. Is the, the place where we, we definitely struggled the most to develop everything as, as best as possible. And we just have a, had a tough, tough weekend there last year. So we put a lot of focus in on, on what we need to do this year and exactly how we need to approach it. And having another teammate, which is as experienced as Lucas is, is going to be a huge bonus for us. you got two cars running during a weekend two sets of data, someone else to talk to from a stylistic standpoint to see how someone else drives a car. Um, so it's, it's pretty much a positive all the way around full spectrum any way you look at it. It's going to be a huge help. It's just going to be nice having someone that's fast, that's talented, that's been around forever, driven every type of car, worked with many manufacturers, and, and knows technically the ins and outs of race cars that will you know provide the right feedback and and really help give us uh, the correct directions instead of coming off just one person. So it'll be huge. It's going to be big for our team. Really excited for the whole surface dropping racing group. I know everyone else is looking forward to it, and, and hopefully that all together and the, the culmination of all that is, is going to bring us uh, a pretty decent result around that place. And let's flip that question around in the other direction a little bit. Uh, people hear the statement very often that it's difficult to to get consistent results as a single car team, but uh, some people who are newer to the sport might not really understand why. As a single, a driver in a single car team, can you put into your own words what uh, what you're missing out on by not having that resource with you on a regular basis of a teammate? Well, the, the teammate thing is definitely. Uh, a tougher thing to tackle than, than most could realize. Um, you, you, you just do not have the the pooling of proper data that you really need to be successful for consistent amounts of times throughout the year. Um, you can certainly show flashes of brilliance, and I think there's there's definitely points where single-car teams will shine, and they can shine, and that, that happens. But uh, it has its limitations at points, and it is difficult to, to make a consistent run in a championship. Um, you know, for us, it, I think it's not been so much of an issue of not having a second car. I, I think that's, that's definitely part of the puzzle for us, but it's not the biggest issue. There's there's certainly other things that a single car team faces as well. And, you know, for us, we, we haven't had a full-time sponsor, and that's definitely put a crimp in the program. Uh, it, it's hard not having uh, that that's full uh, full budget for, for an entire season. We've, we've had incredible partners at, at Sarah Fisher and Racing, um, and everyone that supports us does a wonderful job and provides everything that we, we really do need to run for a full championship. But there can definitely always be more, and, and a full-time sponsor is certainly something that we need around the team. And, um, you know, there's other aspects to it as well of, of what kind of resources you can draw from with that. You know, there's just a lot of things to, to look for from a budget standpoint. So, um, you know, a teammate is, is definitely part of the picture, like you said, but, but there's other things to look at as well. And, you know, we're looking at improving all of those in kind of in, in one punch. So hopefully we can we can get a couple of these items sorted out for, for 2014, and, and that should really elevate the program greatly at, at Sarah Fisher Racing. Great. 
Um, now let's ask you the question that we've been asking everybody that we've talked to uh, at this point or toward this point in the year. Um, a couple of new things that have happened in the Eyes on IndyCar series this year. One of them is the the doubleheader weekends. We've been through two of these now. Um, some people seem to have, have the opinion that, well, they're not great, but if the fans like them, then we'll do them. And some people are just sort of very vocally, very violently against them in, um, in any situation. Where do you think that you have uh, fallen in your opinion of these at, up to this stage? You know, I, I probably wouldn't even elaborate on it that much. I, I love them. I don't mind them at all. When I was a junior driver, you know, you, you drove a couple races a weekend. Uh, the way I look at it is the more the better. So, you know, some people hate them, some people love them. I don't see how it could be a negative for a fan. You know, you just get two races during a weekend. I don't see how there's any negative to draw from that. And uh, the only thing that I could see is that it is tougher and more demanding on a team. Uh, it definitely puts a lot more stress on everything that you do during a weekend. But aside from that, I love them. I think they're great. You get two races during a weekend, and, you know, the more the merrier, in my opinion. Great. What about the standing starts uh, that we finally got the first one out at, uh, at Toronto? And having been through one now, what's your opinion on those? I love standing starts as well. You know, they're very open wheel styled. Uh, I think it fits perfectly with what IndyCar is on a, on a street or a road course. Obviously, ovals is a different case. You're going to do rolling starts in an oval, uh, which is just obvious pretty much. I mean, that's that's the natural way to start a race in an oval. So there's there's nothing wrong with that. But I think. For, for street events and, and even road course events, it, it's pretty normal for open wheel cars like Indy cars to, to start from a standing start. That's you know that's just got a long history of that. And I think it just fits well with what an open wheel car is all about. It adds a different element, adds a different skill set for the drivers and the teams. And you know if we can incorporate that more and more in the future, I'd love to see it. Great. Uh, you had in earlier in your career a stint uh, where you spent some time racing in Europe, and um, there was a point in your career when you were pretty vocal about, um, you know, you were looking for for work in North America, and you were happy to be established in North America, but were saying that your goal was always to end up back in Europe uh, and uh, ideally in Formula One. Is that still the way that you're looking at this stage in your career, or are you starting to feel like you're settling in well in IndyCar and that you you might be happy to stay here a little longer? You know, you can you can just never look at a situation in racing where I think you're just content. You know, especially me being at 22, it, it, you just never know where you're going to go. I mean, Formula One is something I've I've always uh, loved. It's a it's a great great part of the the sport of racing. I think it's an incredible championship. You know, if the right opportunity presented itself, that's absolutely something I'd want to consider and, and potentially do. Uh, I love IndyCar too. I love the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Everything about the Indy 500. And then the whole championship together, it's just IndyCar is, is incredible. And I, I think there's there's a lot here that people haven't seen in America. They just they don't realize how incredible IndyCar is and, and what an amazing championship with amazing teams and amazing drivers fill it. It really is one of the top levels of motorsports in the entire world, absolutely one of the top. So it's, it's definitely an overlooked gem, I think, by a lot of people in America and, and probably globally, too. So uh, there's there's no aspect of that that I dislike. I, I love being a part of IndyCar. Love to be a part of it for for as long as I could be. But you know, I, I love all other forms of racing too. So any opportunities that would come my way, I'd be extremely interested in. I yeah, I love to drive as many cars as possible. It's a little greedy, and you know, you're not gonna realistically get that ch chance and everything. But I would never close any doors to, to any opportunities. Very uh, racer-like answer. <laughs> um, finally. 
if looking at where you're at now in your career, uh, second year at IndyCar, uh, in a single car team, as we've discussed, uh, all the, the trials that come along with that, are you the sort of driver who has sort of a, um, a short-term timeline of expectations that you've set for yourself, goals that you, you've set for yourself that you want to achieve in the next year, two years, five years, or are you sort of a take-it-as-it-comes kind of guy? You know, I'm kind of the take-it-as-it-comes right now. I think that's the best way to approach it. There's, It kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with the way racing works. You never know where you're going to be or what you're going to be doing the next year, and even sometimes the next race. It's just it's how racing works. It's, it's a very dynamic sport, and you never really know where it's going to take you as a driver. So uh, I just want to be successful in whatever I do. You know, every time you show up to a racetrack and you get inside of a race car, you're looking to win the race and be as, as successful as possible. So uh, I kind of treat it as one race at a time, and, you know, whatever happens, happens. And it's almost a comforting thought thinking that everything does happen for a reason. I don't necessarily believe that, but I also like saying it to myself sometimes because I think it, it does make me a little more comfortable with everything and, and the way it flows because it's it's a tough sport. You never know where you're going to end up. You never know what's going to happen. So whenever you do get an opportunity to do something, I think you've got to take it by the horns and, and do the best that you can every single time. And that's that's just the way I approach it. Great. Well, thank you so much. We've really appreciated all of your very uh, candid answers and uh, your honesty throughout this, uh, this, this chat. So thank you so much for your time, Joseph, and uh, best of luck at Sonoma and for the rest of the season. Sounds great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Definitely great to hear from Joseph Newgarden and have him on our show for the very first time. Thank you again, Joseph, for your time and for your uh, very candid insight. Very interesting to hear Joseph say that he didn't. He was of the opinion that uh, Takuma was not blocking. That he uh, he thought that uh, what, what Takuma was doing was was pretty par for the course, and uh, kind of makes you think about um, sort of the the different opinions within the paddock and what the the um, where the dividing line may have been on the people who had those opinions. Versus versus the ones who, who didn't. Uh, any theories? You know, I remember watching it live. I didn't think it was as big of a deal as it eventually got made out to be, so I'm not t- totally surprised to hear somebody who was there in the moment who's focusing on trying to win uh, necessarily think that it wasn't as, as blatant as it has been made out to be. Um, you know, the, the longer I looked at it, the more of a block it appeared to me to be. But I remember in the moment thinking it wasn't as big as it eventually turned out to be. So I'm not totally surprised to hear uh, Joseph say that he didn't think it was blatant or or, uh, as egregious of of a block that's been made out to be in the months since then. Just I find it fascinating that that James Hinchcliffe told us in an interview in May that – he was of the opinion that Joseph should have won that race if the, if the penalties had fallen properly. And Joseph sitting on the other side of the room going, eh, you know, it's just racing, whatever. That's, uh, I just find that, that dichotomy so interesting. And James is not one of those guys that you can point at and say, ah, he's an old guy. He's, he's jaded. He's been around forever. He was from the, the other years, blah, blah, blah. So um, just very interesting to see the, the two different perspectives and that Joseph, having been the one who was on sort of the, the – um, the detracting side of that being the one sitting there saying that he didn't feel hard done by. So well, good for him, I think the other point, the other thing to keep in mind too, is that, you know, that's really one of Joseph's, the only time really he's been up competing for a win. He's kind of in a different frame of mind where he's very much um, enjoying the moment. And, you know, yeah, it, it's no fun to, 
to lose and come in second or third, or I think you finished third fifth. that race. Fifth. Oh, you fit all the way down to fifth. Yeah. Um, you know, that's never fun. Uh, where, where James was, you know, you, I don't want to say he was used to running up there quite yet, but, you know, he had won it at St. Pete. He had performed well at the beginning of the year, so he had a different mindset. When I guess when you're expecting to put yourself up there and you want to get back there so badly, <laughs> man, uh, you know, those things that keep you from getting back there, maybe you you make them to be a little bit bigger, whereas Joseph was so excited to be in the moment that maybe he just didn't see it as uh, blatant. I don't know. I mean, he, he still wants to win, obviously. and um, But I, I'm, I'm glad to hear him, you know, not holding on to that months later and saying, you know, oh, he you know, I still think I should have won that. I, you know, he blocked me. I think Joseph realizes there are a lot of moments that make a, a race. Mm-hmm. And, and the results are, are not determined in the last two or three laps of a race. Um, so yeah, it was one event during, uh, an 80 or 85 lap race. And ultimately it got attention because it was at the end, but if he doesn't think it was, uh, you know, blatant foul, then, you know, maybe everyone else is time to, to move on and, and, and just let it go. Yeah. But then we wouldn't have stuff to talk about. Trust Come me, we'd make, we'd make up plenty more stuff to talk about. Well, let's go find some more things to talk about then, if you're going to be like that. What do we want to talk about? Let's talk about the test today at Sonoma. We don't have a timesheet, <laughs> unfortunately, to look yeah, what at. Do you, yeah, how much are we going to get to talk about? Marshall Pruitt has thrown out a couple of tweets of times, so we know a few of the of the times, mostly of the new guys, I guess. Mm-hmm. And I think he said at one point that uh, Ryan Hunter-Ray had a fast lap. Um, don't remember seeing, well, okay, let's not dig too far down that hole, but let's talk about who the, um, the drivers that were in the test today wound up being. And, um, there was also the announcement this morning from Brian Herta Autosport that, um, Luca Filippi will be back in the 98 machine for Baltimore and Houston. And, uh, we will see J.R. Hildebrand back for his uh, home race at Sonoma. He, he actually grew up right around the corner from, uh, from Sonoma Raceway, which, uh, I don't know if people realize quite how close, uh, Sausalito is to, to the Sonoma Valley, but it's right there. And, um, he'll be driving at Fontana as well. So, um, good for J.R getting his opportunity and uh luca of, of course um just from the way that the deal worked out getting one more race in before the end of the year than than jr because houston is a double header but um uh very deserving on that end uh not gonna lie there are a few canadians grumbling about um about how tag is uh kind of getting the shaft in this one and, and and how he continues to do so but i mean there's not much more to say about that than that's racing right I mean, it seems to be too often the way things go these days. Yeah, ultimately it comes down to results, and for whatever reason, that team has not produced the results that it it needed or felt it needed to to uh, successfully continue going forward, and they needed to make a change, for better or worse. For you know, the way it shakes out is the driver is usually the first person to get get changed out. And um, it, I, I would assume that that team is 
probably down to these two drivers unless somebody shows up with a much bigger check for um, trying to decide who they're going to select for the 2014 season. So for it's it's easy for us to sit here and say, oh, yeah, they're only running a couple of races each. But this is really do or die time for these guys if they're looking for because this is definitely um, a, at least a partially funded full time seat. And so if you're able to, to put together enough sponsorship, personal sponsorship dollars to, to finish the, the budget out, then uh, it's a good solid place to be, uh, particularly if you're gelling well with the team and, and getting those results that seem to elude um, Tagliani in the, in the later days for whatever reason. So um, we should see these two guys fighting pretty hard through the, through the rest of this season to, to prove themselves and uh, given especially how JR was uh, unceremoniously turfed <laughs> earlier this year. Um, <laughs> very interesting to see how that all shakes out. Absolutely. We also saw that uh, today Ryan Briscoe is back in the car um, after his wrist injury, broken wrist, pardon me, wrist injury doesn't really quite fully spell out the, uh, the extent of it, um, and was driving, I believe, with a carbon fiber brace today at, uh, at Sonoma doing the full day test with Panther Racing. And um, yeah, well, what a place to what a place to come back with a broken wrist. <laughs> Ouch. Well, uh, at the they... same time, though, he's he's the defending winner here. True, uh, but I, I'm just saying that's a lot of Sonoma is a very tech, uh, very uh, physical track. A lot mm. of loading and a lot of the turns, you know, going up to one, uh, the carousel that turn six, I think, and then the next one at the end of the straight before the S's. That, that hairpin down there. There's a lot of heavy loaded turns at Sonoma that require a lot of strength. So that wrist had better be healed up nicely for him to uh, to be successful out there. Well, at the same time, if you're going to have a, a driver in the car at a test at Sonoma that um, is not a full-time regular driver, I think Ryan Briscoe would be the guy you'd want to pick because we did mention that he is the defending winner here at Sonoma. And um turns out that he has finished in the top five every year for the last five years here. Really? So, yeah. So uh, lots of lots of potential, lots of um, lots to watch there to see how that team does um, relative to. Um, I mean, we're presuming that Ryan is going to be in the car for the Sonoma race, but I think that's a fair assumption at this point. Um, and uh, just seeing how that team and Ryan are able to to put it together, because before he broke his wrist, he was doing very well at Toronto. They were very, very pleased with, with uh, how everything was coming together at, at Toronto. So um, after the, the pause for his injury, it will be very interesting to see um, w- how quickly they're able to get back on the horse, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. Um, here's a name for you. You tell me what you think of this one, Paul. Ryo Hirakawa. I'm glad you said that because I had no idea. I was just <laughs> going to throw out the guy who's... The guy whose name I couldn't pronounce. Well, he's. I, I I will confess I'm not as familiar with um, some of the international series as I would like to be. I've never heard of him, um, but apparently he is the 2012 Japanese Formula Three champion, and uh, I think he's driving in. The, hang on, the series just changed names this year. Ah, Super Formula, which used to be Formula Nippon. Uh, and he's doing the 2013 season in that and has come over to do this test. Don't think he's confirmed for for the race at Sonoma, is he? Not as uh, far as I know. 
Not as far as I know, and that's probably a safe assumption if he's in a Dale Coin ride anyway. Right. Um, but so that'll be, be confirmed at qualifying before. Yeah, I was gonna. Say. <laughs> yeah. So just to be clear, we are talking about Dale Coin Racing. Um, my assumption is that that's one of those Honda deals. Seems to be a fairly safe assumption. <laughs> yeah. So um, be it'll be interesting. He apparently he did extremely well today had some very strong lap times yeah just pulled up uh marshall pruitt's twitter feed here sounds like the fast time of the day was in the 79.1 range uh the guy whose name i'm not even going to try to pronounce you were just talking about <laughs> just under 81 seconds and uh who else we got here lucas lure at at 83.6 those are about the only times that he was reporting from today and i think that um Joseph had some brake trouble early in the day, possibly. I don't think either one of the Sarah Fisher cars got a full day of testing in. I, I don't recall exactly where I read that, but I believe that to be the case. So, Sounded like someone who actually did get a full day of testing in for once was Graham Rahal, though. Mm-hmm. So I think he made mention, too, this may be the first full test day they've gotten all year. So definitely good for that team. Well, makes another one to watch in, in race trim to see uh, how they manage to shake things out, having got some really real proper time under their belts. Uh, shall we keep talking about drivers uh, and look at some silly season stuff, or would you rather look at some of some of the 2014 event rumors? What do you want to do? Yeah, let's, let's stick with drivers for now. All right. Well, there are two guys, um, of course, that are the big ticket items in this silly season. So um, we can take a look at each of them and, and um, decide because we're, you know, armchair experts and, and we know best for everybody's career. We, can decide. we know the best way to spend everyone else's money. Exactly. So we can decide where, where we think each one of them should end up. Um, let's start with TK. We, of course, know that uh, KV wants him back. And um, there, he's also connected with a with a very strong rumor for the fourth seat at Ganassi. What do you think? Where do I think, or where do I, if I was him, where would I go? If I was him, I think I'd, I'd I'd jump ship and go to Ganassi. Yeah, KV gave you the Indianapolis 500 win, but you know Ganassi's got a few of those too. What what would drive the deal for me is Tony Kanan this year. If he isn't winning or or contending for a win that entry seems totally lost this year he's either top three or four or he's down in 17th 18th 20th position and it just doesn't seem to be a lot of consistency this year he's been strong on some road courses then you look at his canada week he had a just a terrible weekend in canada it seemed like um and then he had an awful weekend in mid-ohio uh, but other races, obviously Indianapolis, he was strong, and he had some strong runs earlier in the year as well. So it, it seems to be a very hot and cold, high and low sort of program they have going on there. Where Ganassi, even in the G2 squad, you know they may not be top all the time, but their lows definitely don't seem to be as low as where they are with KV. And with a driver like Tony Kanan, if you can give him that middle-of-the-road baseline, Tony's going to be able to make that excel and get the very most out of that ride. Um, I, I just think it's a much stronger ride than, than he's capable of hanging on to with KV. 
Very interesting. Uh, and I would bolster your argument by also bringing Simona into the picture, Simona de Silvestro, who has had very strong moments from time to time in this season, but largely has struggled. And uh, she's another driver who I think everyone agrees should be posting better consistency and uh, better results than, than she has been. Um, and so that does speak to possibly some some rifts within the KV organization. At the same time, my counterpoint to that would be that TK can't have that much more time left in him. Um, and so if he's in a position now where he feels like he's got maybe not the consistent results right now, but the chemistry with the team and particularly with his engineers in place where he can, where he feels like he can get that consistency and there's still room to develop that consistency over the one next one or two years to get a couple more really good, solid results. Uh, good. Maybe, you know, a couple more wins. I'm sure he'd like another Indy 500 win. Um, Bef- what we all? Yeah, before um, before he hangs up the helmet, then I don't know if he is in the best place to be considering a move because he could be throwing that away, f- and and at this stage in his career, throwing that away for a complete unknown. I mean, he's only he's he's only got such a limited amount of time left. I don't. I think I'd take the sure bet, but I'm also not a race car driver. I think if Chip Ganassi came to Tony Kanaan and said, I want you to drive my fourth car. I think if I, Chip Ganassi went to just about anyone and said, I want you to drive my fourth car. And I'm, Tony's thrown this opportunity away before, right? That's the other kicker. Right, right. But I was saying, if Chip goes to Tony and says, I want you to drive my fourth car, and Tony says, okay, here's my, here's my, here's 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 the deal breaker. If you bring me, you bring Eric Cowden with me. Mm. Chip Ganassi brings Eric Cowden with him. Yeah, true. I don't think I don't think there I don't think t- Tony goes anywhere in 2014 without Cowden. Hmm. Interesting. Whether that's a KV or or Ganassi or Panther or you know I've even seen that some people may say Brian Hurd Autosport could be. A, a possibility. Well, that's not outside the realm of possibility. I mean, no. it, that was two of the 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 Brady Bunch four, right? The super so, team, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, that could be a very interesting combination. Who knows? Anything can happen. But this whole discussion of the fourth car can possibly be in taking being taken by TK um, gets even more interesting when you bring James Hinchcliffe into the equation, who is the other um, big ticket item in the in this year's silly season. So, what do you think? Does he um, or do I have to start this one because I made you start the other one? I, I would say my quick opinion: there's absolutely no way Mike Landretti lets James Hinchcliffe go. What if he doesn't have a choice? It's not. Uh, sorry, it's not Michael Andretti's decision. It's the CEO of GoDaddy's decision. Uh, I don't see GoDaddy having a, a relationship with with another team going on. I mean, they've got a good history with with Andretti, as far as I know. I, I haven't heard of them wanting to shop around to to other teams. I mean, if you're GoDaddy, who are you? Who do you look at as a stronger team right now than Andretti Autosport? I mean, you've got the Andretti name. You have 
a driver with three wins. You have a team that's coming off a championship. They're contending for another championship this year. Across the board, you know, season long, they've been the strongest team. I mean, maybe if you toss out EJ Viso, but certainly you got the three, the three main guys there with Hunter Ray and Marco and Hinchcliffe. They've been the strongest team effort this year. Well, you're not going to Penske. Can you see Penske being a GoDaddy? No, I can't. No. Uh, to be honest, I don't even really see GoDaddy going to uh, going to Ganassi. Well, the, there's still the question of whether GoDaddy returns to IndyCar at all, which is not a completely done deal. Although, I've, I mean, the the current CEO of GoDaddy, um, I can't remember exactly where it was. I think Jenna Fryer did the interview, so it went through AP, so it showed up in a few different places. But um, uh, she spoke with the CEO of GoDaddy, and he, he was talking like he was very happy with IndyCar and very happy with James. Um, and the, his word selection, he was very careful not to spoil his contract negotiations, but um, he certainly gave the impression that he was interested in having James back and, and staying in IndyCar. So um, that appears to be solid, but it's it's not even 100% that that's a done deal yet because that contract is also up as well as the Andretti Autosport contract. So. But unlike a lot of other teams, James isn't – GoDaddy isn't James' sponsor. You know, that's not a sponsor that James – as far as I know, that's an Andretti sponsor. It's a, a paid ride. It's not a, a sponsor, at least as far as we know, that James can take around and shop to I other think, teams. I think that whole arrangement is up for renegotiation right now, and I would imagine that that's part of what James is doing is – solidifying his personal relationship with GoDaddy and this this renegotiation. And GoDaddy has invested a great deal in, in connecting themselves with his image. So I imagine that um, if the whole deal does go forward, then James will be somewhat successful in that. I think he's going to be successful, yeah. I, I just don't see them going to another team besides Andretti. I don't see where a better place for them to go would be. Well... Time will tell. My my inclination, and um, I've said this in conversation with others, is that it's going to be the most anticlimactic announcement of all time, and he's just going to re-sign with GoDaddy and re-sign with Andretti, and everybody's going to be happy, happy. So we, we'll see what actually ends up playing out, but that's certainly my suspicion. You make that sound like a bad thing. No, I don't think it is a bad thing. I think it's just not the the big story that everybody's gunning for. Well, what, I... Yeah, but it'd be nice to to just have a a continuity there and a, a you know a solid foundation. You don't. Need I agree to turn with over you. Cars, no, I agree with you a hundred percent. I think that that James would be crazy to look anywhere else. We've got some people up here in Canada saying, "Oh, James may start looking to F1." I'm like, "F1? Are you crazy? Mm. That that." goofy personality that serves James so well here would get eaten alive in the F1 paddock. Absolutely eaten alive. Can you imagine post-race conferences with him and Kimi Raikkonen? (laughs) (laughs) It'd be two Kimi Raikkonens. It'd be awesome. Oh, that would be good. (laughs) I didn't even think of him doing the impersonation. Oh my gosh, that would be be hilarious. But it would never fly. That's the problem. We need to get him on the podcast sometime doing an entire segment of Kimi right No, he won't do it. He's retired, Kimi. What? He retired Kimi on Wind Tunnel. 
No. But now, well, maybe tunnel... now that Wind Tunnel is retired, we can talk him out of it. That's right. Mm. I think we can bring him out of retirement. We'll have to see. We'll work on that. We need to do an entire podcast with him as Kimi and Simone <laughs> Paginot as... Uh... As Jean Girard! Yes. <laughs> okay, I'll, we got to start. Be through the roof! We'll try to... Maybe we can do that, make that like an off-season goal of ours to have a, a Jean Girard versus Kimi Raikkonen podcast. I want this to happen. Write it down. We'll work on it. Maybe we'll start a Twitter campaign. <laughs> there you go. Hashtag Kimi versus Jean. The problem is that Simon would be in. It's only James that we have to talk into it. You're Canadian. Work your magic. I'll see what I can do. Come on, you guys are like Torontonians. You guys are like a clique. <laughs> okay, we've talked about this too long already. Um, it's an off week. Yeah. <laughs> so where are we in terms of our schedule rumors? Did we talk about Brazil? I think we did last week about the rumor that that it's very likely that Brazil is not returning. Well, we discussed that it may not return. I don't know if we said it was very likely. But I don't, very likely might be a stretch, but but likely it doesn't seem to be. Um, there's there's seems enough to be iffy. Yes, there's enough strong rumor um, that that seems to be shaping around no return trip to um, South America next year. So. Uh, and you do tend to wonder about the support that the Brazilian drivers are going to continue to get in America and that uh, that Apex Brazil sponsorship, which has always been kind of a big question mark of exactly how much support does that bring to IndyCar. And does well, they have definitely continue. toned down their rhetoric yeah, this year. Yeah, they have. Big time. Yeah. They've kind of gone the way of IZOD, it seems. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, we'll have to sort of keep an eye on that. There's not much new on that front. There was one story in um, the Journal Sentinel. Is that it? Milwaukee. Milwaukee Journal Sentinel um, this week that suggested that um, Milwaukee might be a um, possibly required to pay a higher sanctioning fee to IndyCar for next year's race. IndyCar is asking for more money which is very, very surprising to me um, because my understanding is that that budget for that event is pretty well as strung out as it can get as it is. And also that, um, and this might not be anything more than speculation on the reporter's part because it did come from a blog and not an actual news report, but um, both Road America and Chicagoland entered discussion as um, possible alternatives for the market um, in part of that article. So thoughts on that? I'd be shocked if Chicago came back that quickly. Mm. Uh, I'd love to see it. Don't get me wrong, but they have enough problems drawing to their NASCAR races, that nationwide race they had there a handful of weeks ago. It looked like an Indy lights race. Hmm. I mean, it was deserted. Uh, So it'll be interesting to see what the attendance looks like at the, at the cup race mid-September, I think. I think they're right at the beginning of September. It's the first race of the chase, and I think it may be the Bears opening weekend as well, or home opener. Ouch. Uh, yeah. Who planned that? Um, you would think that would be something that happened from IndyCar, but no, that's – yeah, they're going to struggle for that one. Mm. Uh, so I I think they're that's probably where they're bas- the eggs – 
uh, are right now for Chicagoland. Uh, haven't heard anything about a Chicago street circuit in in ages. No. Which is actually too bad. I know that probably just blew your socks off coming at <laughs> me. A little bit. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I think it would be kind of cool uh, uh, a race down on Lakeshore Boulevard or through Grant Park somewhere down in the Soldier Field. I just think it would be a really cool setting for one, and you know, you could do a lot of cool things with some of the streets down there. Uh, I it would just put it would them be right an, by the Bean. Yeah, you could do that through could Millennium you? Park. Yeah. Really? Uh, I don't know if you could do it right around the Bean, but certainly I love in the that. Bean. <laughs> Why? I don't know. I think it's cool. Anyway, yeah. I don't. I don't think you could do it right there. That's. It's a little too tight in through those areas, but certainly through Grant Park, Millennium Park, uh, in the museum areas down there, you could you can make a pretty cool track, I think. Hmm. Um, do you certainly, think it a lot would be of better for the Chicago market to do something like that. You know the Chicago market a lot better than I do. I think you would draw a lot more people there than you would Chicagoland Speedway. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So a lot, of, about, a lot of room up there. What about Road America? I mean, you hear diehard fans screaming about it. I was one of them this weekend when they when the sports cars were racing there. Um, well, who doesn't want to go to, to Road America? Well, apparently Road America. <laughs> They're the only ones because they they, uh, they don't want to pay what IndyCar wants them to. Well, sure. That's been the problem all along, evidently. Well, they figure out how to make it work with the sports car world then. Yeah. You know, if they get, if they get, that would be a great opportunity to do a, a weekend doubleheader. I don't think you'll see the United Sports Car Series having much interest in doubleheaders. You don't think so? Not at all? Not really. Well, they'll run Long Beach still, won't they? Uh, that was my assumption, and when I said it out loud on Twitter, I got jumped on. Really? Yeah. I would. Uh, apparently, there's, there's a bit of a culture shift, because... Um, well, first of all, you've got two series pairing down to one, pairing down to ten races. So that's half of the schedule from each of them gone. Um, and they're fighting big time for those as it is. But I just think that um, the the entity that's going to be in charge of sports cars next year is going to be putting more effort into making sure that sports cars are the headliners. For the races. So we, How bad do you think a United Sports Car Series wants to be at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway? I don't think they're going to have to fight for it. What do you mean? I don't think they're going to have to make very many concessions for it. Because I think IMS is um, very interested in the income. Do you think IMS made a whole lot of income on that sports car race this year? Well, they were open and selling <laughs> things which they wouldn't have been otherwise. Yeah, but they weren't open for very many people. Yeah, I, but you know the sports car line there. Everybody was in the infield sitting on uh, the uh, on the spectator mounts. Oh, sure. Yeah, and Cart <laughs> drew 200,000 people at every street course race in Denver, too. Well, anyway, I'll be pretty surprised if there end up being very many sports car, IndyCar doubleheaders. I think there may not, there may not, not be a whole lot. Bit. I agree. There may not be a whole lot. Well, we there's already not going to be a lot of opportunity to begin with because they're going down to 10 races. From what, I mean, what are they combined at this year now? Do you know? Somewhere around 20. The, the, each series runs about 10? The, yeah, each series runs about 10. And, I mean, think about it in recent years. Which ones have been doubleheaders? I think Barber typically runs with Grand Am. Barber runs Grand Am. Uh, Long Beach ALMS runs, runs at Long Beach. 
Uh, ALMS has run at Mid-Ohio. Yeah. Detroit uh, has been Grand Am. Detroit, there's not a chance that Detroit's going to be back on the sports car schedule. No, heavens no. Grand Am used to run at Homestead when IndyCar was there. Well, you know what? That said, though, I mean, Chevrolet does like having its its party. So there there is that argument. But Honda likes having its party, too. Yeah. Um, where else would have been combined? Uh, Are sports cars running at Houston this year? They can't be. Not with the double header. Oh, uh, yeah. Did Grand Am not run this year at, at Detroit? No, they did, though. Yeah. Uh, where else? Who ran Baltimore? ALMS is going to Baltimore. All right. So, yeah, we've got, you know, there you're talking six, seven different double headers, I guess. Yeah, and it's not going to be that much. Mm-hmm. No way. I mean, I I can see where there's a good argument for making the Road America race a doubleheader for them because I think um, – but I don't see where the track benefits from that. If the track can, can get one or the other to buy into its own weekend. I think you – I think mid-Ohio, though, probably saw this year – what the difference between running a doubleheader and running one of the series on their own was. Yeah, it's an interesting study. Maybe one that takes too long for for off the top of our heads right now, but um, let's let's let that one ruminate for a while. Because uh, that is interesting. Is it a greater benefit to attract to um, pay both two series reduced? sanctioning fee and get more people through the gate at once for one event, then would would that be better than having theoretically more people across two events but paying more in sanctioning fee? Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Anyway, the other um, event rumor that sort of started circulating, thanks to, again, Marshall Pruitt, who is now the juggernaut, probably the hardest working man in the entire IndyCar <laughs> world. Um, is Not the, just IndyCar, he's all everywhere, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. Sports cars as well. Yeah, um, is the Fort Lauderdale rumor is coming up again. Um, and actually, right before we started recording, I meant to go and, and look up exactly where Fort Lauderdale is, because it's, it's just north Miami, of right? Right. Which is a market that IndyCar is looking for. So, sure. yeah, I can see where that makes sense. Depending on where it goes in the season, you don't want it to be too close to St. Pete, right? right? But you can't have it in the middle of the summer because nobody wants to be in Florida in the middle of the summer. Definitely not South Florida, no. No. So, but is that something to end the season with? I don't know. I. It seemed like when it had come up a while ago... They had talked about doing it at the end of the season, not to end the season, but near the end of the season. And wasn't that where there was the conflict with an air show or something on the beach? I forget what the, mm. the logistics. Well, mind were. you, they have the entire month of September apparently, um, where they could slot something in. So yeah, but they want to end, but they want to end early in September. I've always been um, a proponent of the idea of ending before the NFL season. I'm not exactly sure even how NASCAR has gone this long going up against NFL. Ego. 
Mm. <laughs> I think that, that uh, well, they've, really they've kind of painted themselves into a corner, but IndyCar would be better served to me to start earlier and end earlier. Agreed, but do you really want to go off the map in, in August? Well, you, you can run Labor Day weekend. You can have a big, big finale on Labor Day weekend. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, but Labor Day, do they start the NFL that early? I thought it started the, the regular season started the weekend after. Yeah, I can't remember. I, I was thinking it was usually the week after, but then there had been talk about expanding it, and who knows. I mean, the NFL is going to do whatever they want because they can. So. Mm-hmm. If they wanted to start the first week of August, they could, and it wouldn't. To IndyCar's credit, they've been better for the last little while about making sure that they schedule things at the late in the year on Saturday nights and not trying to run on Sundays. But, I mean, then you get into college football, too, and I don't get the whole college football thing. We've discussed this many times, but apparently it's a big deal for you people. <laughs> yes, we like our college football so, and college basketball. That's just as bad, I'm told, as trying to go up against college ball. Um, yes. Which happens on Saturdays. And so you just can't, like, I don't but, know. It just, but if you have a choice of going up against a, a primetime SEC college game on Saturday night and NFL primetime Sunday night game, you go against the Saturday night game. Right. But if you have the choice of not going against either one and having an actual proper big, you know, build up to a finale to your season, you pick that. Obviously. Agree. If you're gonna do that, then you need to run Labor Day Monday. I don't see a problem with that. I don't either. Except the same thing we had discussed with Indianapolis is then you kind of kill a rain date, but yeah, but it's not like they've got a race there that's been going on for exactly however yeah. many years it is that Indianapolis has actually been running on the Sunday. Here's your trivia question for the night, Paul. How many years has Indianapolis been run on the Sunday of, of Memorial Day weekend? Well, the first year they would have tried to would have been 19, uh, let's see, 70, the rule, the law was changed in 72. I think 73 they would have tried. 74, I think, would have been the first year they actually did run on Sunday. Um, so how many, I don't know, how many years is that from, from 74 through? I don't know. Don't ask me to do math. See, they wouldn't have run 86, they would have missed. Ninety-seven, they would have missed. So I think you're at like twenty, wait, thirty, twenty-eight. No, I don't know. (laughs) How old am I? (laughs) Thirty-eight. I'm not thirty-eight. I'm asking for (laughs) thirty-eight. I don't know. Yeah, thirty-eight. Sure. You're the engineer, not me. I don't do math. Uh, okay, so two, three, uh, what is it? Sure, 38. Okay. Alright, that's enough from us. Nobody wants to hear us talk anymore. Let's talk to Matthew Brabham, who is, believe it or not, already the Pro Mazda Series Champion for 2013. He absolutely, like, just cleaned up this year he's setting records left and right he's uh, still working he still has two races to go to extend the record that he's already set for most wins in a pro mazda season um he's the driver for andretti autosport 
going to be already, we know, earning the um, the scholarship to move up to Firestone Indie Lights for 2014. And we're very interested to speak to him about how his season has gone, what he considers his highlights and lowlights of the year to be, and what he hopes for for his future and um, presuming that he's going to be moving up and staying with Andrani Autosport, although that is yet to be confirmed. But let's have a chat with Matthew Brabham right now. Steph Walcraft of morefrontwing.com here with the uh, now confirmed 2013 Pro Mazda champion, Matthew Brabham. Congratulations, Matthew, on your fantastic season. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been absolutely wonderful. Yeah, no doubt. So you, um, just a quick synopsis, we did catch up with you earlier this year for the site, but uh, just to catch everybody up who may not have been following along uh, with the Pro Mazda year, you landed here from uh, a season in, or uh, sorry, a career in the junior formulas in Australia um, at the beginning of 2012, won the USF 2000 championship in 2012 with Cape Motorsports, and then moved on to Pro Mazda to win in dominant fashion again this year. I'm sure that you're sort of getting used to the idea of winning championships at this point. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's 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 been a wonderful couple of years. It was um, Andretti Autosport that won the championship with this year. But, um, yeah, it's just been absolutely wonderful. I mean, I couldn't have, you know, predicted these past two years, you know, before I came over here to the States. And uh, it's um, been, you know, so much fun racing here in, in the States. Um, everybody's so welcoming and nice and uh you know, IndyCar is such a, you know, family kind of, everybody's, you know, a big family in IndyCar and everybody's willing to help each other out. So I've just had so much fun making new friends, um, you know, within the IndyCar circle and it's been wonderful for me. So maybe for those who haven't had the opportunity to follow along very closely with the year, you could uh, sort of summarize the season as you saw it through your eyes uh, as it played out from start to not quite finish. <laughs> sure. I mean, it was. It, it all started off, you know, for us um, from the get-go, you know, really well. I mean, um, we had a, you know, a little bit of. It, it was a little tough at the start of the season with the changes from, you know, Dan Anderson taking over the series, and uh, the changes within the series with Cooper Tires, you know, coming on board instead of Goodyear and taking over. So, you know, the start of the year, it was really interesting and, you know, kind of tough to tell where everybody was at speed-wise. But uh, it seemed, you know, that one of our biggest keys to success this year was just um, getting on top of the new tires. You know, we managed to get a really, really good jump on everybody and um, dropping the tires, you know, with the, with the car. And, um, you know, since really the first, you know, couple of test days at Sebring and Palm Beach, we had this, you know, little advantage over everybody. And um, we just managed to kind of keep that throughout the year. And... Uh, yeah, win win a lot of races. I mean, it's the, the team's done such a great job. I mean, I really owe it to the to the team. You know, Andre Autosport. Um, it's you know been <laughs> it's been great. I mean, it's just been one of those years. I mean, like I my plans throughout the year were just to you know kind of focus on one race at a time. And um, yeah, the first couple of races went you know fantastic for us. Yeah, you know, didn't go so well in the very first race. At, um, uh, Austin, but you know the second race we came out um, and you know won in you know dominant fashion. So it's uh, since that one race we had that massive winning win, winning streak, and uh, yeah, I mean, that was you know, wonderful. And I'm just kind of uh, enjoyed it while you know enjoyed the year while it was going on because I'm sure I'm not going to have another year like this. 
again. <laughs> they're, they're certainly uh, rare in a in a career. So um, you may have sort of half answered this question in, in your last answer, but did you have any one moment in the season when you sort of felt that you could be very confident that this was this was going to be your year, that this was your season? Or did you sort of question it right up until it was confirmed, up until the end? Um, you, you always have those doubts and questions you know, in your mind. But, um, you know, I guess, you know, once we kind of got a good championship lead, it was, um, you know, I think, you know, I knew it was going to be a good year, um, you know, after the first couple of wins. But, yeah, it's always it's always tough to tell. I mean, when I had that uh, bad weekend at Mossport, you know, it, there's always bad thoughts in the back of your mind. So, you know, I lost a lot of points at Mossport. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very easy to, you know, you know, have, you know, a string of bad races and you know, lose a championship, you know, all, all in, you know, within a couple of weekends. So, you know, at the same time, I was never really, you know, too complacent. And, um, you know, all my family was telling me as well that, you know, you don't want to start thinking about winning the championship or you want to, you know, or get too complacent. You know, it's, it's very easy. It's a lot easier to lose a championship than you think. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was just kind of taking it one race at a time and trying to, you know, kind of keep those thoughts out of my head. Maybe you could talk about uh, the experience of coming to Andretti Autosport this year. Um, it, Andretti is the only organization that has a team in every rung of the road to Indy. Uh, has that shown, in your opinion, through in the way that they operate and the success that they've found, in, uh, particularly at the lower levels? Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's... Um, you know, their sharing between all the teams and their and their openness between, you know, Indy Lights, their Pro Master team and their USA 2000 team and, you know, your IndyCar team really helps. I mean, you know, it's when we're, you know, at the same track, like at Ohio, you know, for example, we, um, you know, we were out on track in the morning and then, you know, the Indy Lights guys went on track after us. We were able to help them out with, you know, predicting where the car setup was going to go and how their race, you know, was going to pan out and, in, in the same time, you know, the IndyCar Indy guys kind of help us out as well. You know, they always, you know, come down and talk to all of us about, you know, what the, you know, the changing track conditions and different things about different tracks. So, you know, it's absolutely wonderful. I mean, it's been a great experience for me. I mean, it's, uh, you know, meeting the people that are involved within the, uh, the Android organization have been fantastic and, you know, networking and, being a part of such a big family is, you know, really, really good, and it's been a really big benefit for me. And yeah, it's 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 wonderful. I mean, looking through the the shop at Minneapolis was, you know, one of those experiences where it's like, wow, this is, you know, a really big operation. <laughs> and you know, at the same time, they do a good job of not, you know, spreading out too much and you know, dividing, you know, things up. So you know, they kind of. But it's been, you know, great, absolutely great. One of the highlights, no doubt, of this season is uh, that you've now come away and still have an opportunity to continue to extend the uh, the record for the most wins in a single Pro Mazda season. Um, can you talk a little bit about what you take away from that experience of setting and extending that record, uh, just going through that experience as it was happening? Yeah, it was, it was kind of weird. You know, I wasn't really thinking about, um, you know, the records or, you know, the winning uh, streak too much, you know, I was mainly focusing on the championship, but, you know, it's always, you know, a big, it, it, was, it was almost like a big bonus to the whole thing, I guess. Um, it was, you know, great to experience it. It was, um, it was really fun. I mean, it, you know, it, it's kind of tough. It, it, it was really easy to kind of get all caught up in it, I guess, and, 
you know, lose focus from the championship. But, um, you know, the team was there and my dad and all my family was there, you know, kind of coaching me along. And they did, you know, in the end, they did a good job because, you know, it turned out all right and I didn't really get, you know, too distracted or um, lose my focus. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of, you know, one of those things where um, it's, I think it's still, you know, kind of settling in and I'm still, you know, waiting for it to sink in, I guess, because, you know, I've, I've just come off and I, you know, like the last weekend, um, winning the championship and it's all of a sudden now I'm getting all these, you know, um, facts about like, you know, records and, and all, all those sorts of things. So, um, at the moment, you know, I guess, I guess I'm just waiting for it to sink in, but it's, uh, yeah, it's you know, absolutely fantastic to experience it this year. You mentioned your family, and so that's a good uh, segue into my next question about uh, people being very quick to point out your family's name and uh, and talk about whether it is that it's your family actually coaching you and guiding you through, or whether you know people people sometimes say that you just have racing in your blood when you come from these racing families. To what extent do you think that each of those is true, and it applies to the success that you've found in your early career? Um, I think um, just. The, the biggest factor, I guess, um, for being part of the family and, and the success is just, the, you know, the reason, the main reason, because I've, I've grown up, you know, around racing because of them. Um, it's, it's you know, it's it's not so much in my blood. I think it's just, uh, you know, more so a part of my lifestyle growing up that's really helped me out. I mean, you know, I, I grew up when I was like a little toddler, you know, watching my mom race jet skis and my dad race cars. So it's uh, it's always been, you know, a part of my lifestyle. And I guess when you grow up in something and you spend so much time around, you know, a particular, you know, um, the sport, I guess, you, you, you tend to get immersed in it and understand it uh, really well. So I think that's been the biggest thing for me. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely an advantage to have, you know, my family around and um, be a part of it because, you know, that's, they're, they're so experienced and they understand you know, how hard it is and what I'm going through because they've been all through it themselves before. So you know, they've been a really, really big help in coaching me. You know, not so much also, you know, not so much just on the driving you know, side of things, but you know, the, the mental side of things and how to approach um, you know, certain certain races mentally. So it's been you know absolutely yeah great for me and I can't thank them enough really. Great. So um, I presume that at this stage, your uh, ideal next step would be to go to Indy Lights with Andretti Autosport. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm definitely you know, looking forward. The part of the program is you know winning the, the Masters, the scholarship. So um, I'm definitely trying to look towards Indy Lights next year, and uh, it looks all pretty good so far. But um, yeah, nothing's been announced yet. But I'm sure there'll be something soon. So we'll see. Right. Uh, has that been your plan all along to come over to America and sort of travel straight up the uh, the road to Indy Ladder, or did it sort of come by by chance? Um, a little a little bit of both, I think. You know, um, you know, we were kind of struggling about you know sponsorship, and originally my plan was to you know go to Europe and try to make the Formula One, but um, it it was a lot more sensible for us to to look at um, you know the, the states and going to IndyCar because because of the program. So, you know, our plan was, you know, originally to kind of come over and, you know, see what we can do and do well. And if, if we did well enough to try and win the championships and move up to the series. And, uh, you know, at the same time, we were, you know, that was our main goal was to win the championships and move up. And, you know, that really helped us out. But, you know, we weren't really expecting it to play out the way it did. I mean, it's just been fantastic a couple of years. 
And, um, you know, I haven't really had to repeat a particular theory so far. So, you know, I think, you know, it, it's been one of those things where, you know, we, we, we kind of wanted it to happen, but at the same time, we're really, really surprised at how, how it's all going. You know, it's been crazy. Has your confidence level in Firestone Any Lights as being the next step changed since you learned that Anderson Promotions will be taking over the uh, the um, execution of that series next year? Um, yeah, I think it, it definitely makes me feel a lot more confident that you know it's it's going to continue to progress and do well because um, you know Dan's done such a great um, job you know with USA 2000 series over the last you know couple of years developing that and you know that series this year you know, and, and last year has been absolutely full of cars, you know, 30 cars um, racing, you know, per weekend. And it's, um, it looks really good and really, really fun to race and it's doing really, really well. And I expect, you know, Pro Mazda in the next couple of years to, you know, kind of move up and do 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 well as well um, with numbers and, and competitiveness because, you know, Dan's taking over it now. And um, I kind of believe that you know, the same thing is going to happen for Indy Lights, and um, he's he's really really good. I mean, he's done such a great job in USA 2000. So I can't you know see why he can't you know kind of relay this into Pro Mazda and Indy Lights. And you know the series this year in Pro Mazda was really really well run as well, and everything ran smoothly. And you know we started to bump up the car numbers a little bit towards the end of the year as well. So it's yeah it's been fantastic. And I'm, it just uh, instills confidence in me that you know next year is going to be a really really good year. And, um, you know, Indy, Indy Lights is going to be good for years to come. So, final question then. What do you expect your career trajectory to be from this point? Do you think uh, you spend sort of a year or two in Indy Lights and go to IndyCar? And, and is there anything that you're looking at beyond that? Or is that completely off base? Or do you do you just not know at this point? Where Where's your head at? Um, well, you know, at the moment, I'm trying not to you know, make too many big expectations and goals because, you know, I'm just going to try and focus at one step at a time and, you know, not be distracted by, you know, future events. So at the moment, I'm just kind of looking to Indy Lights. But, you know, at the same time, my goal is, uh, you know, always to win, um, no matter what the circumstances are. I never, you know, make a goal to finish in the top five. My goal is always to win. So, you know, my goal for next year is to, to win the Indy Lights Championship. So I'll be working hard to do that. But um, beyond then, I'm not sure what will happen. It's just to depends how next year plays out. Um, but uh, I think, you know, for a little bit of a long-term goal for me, I think I definitely want to try and make it to IndyCar. But, um, you know, once I get into IndyCar, I haven't really thought about, well, you know, if, if I make it to IndyCar, I haven't really thought about, you know, future plans after that. So, yeah, my goal at the moment is just to try and make it to IndyCar and, uh, you know, do as well as possibly I can in the series I'm in at the moment. Fantastic, and uh, thank, congratulations again on your, your wonderful 2013 season with ProMazda, and uh, definitely lots of people from the outside will be taking a great interest in seeing uh, how your success carries on through Firestone Indy Lights and ideally beyond. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you very much for your time, and uh, best of luck. Cheers. Great to speak with Matthew Brabham, and uh, congratulations to him again on a fantastic 2013 Pro Mazda season. Uh, lots and lots of potential in uh, in him, and uh, showing displaying the great talent that uh, one would expect with the Brabham names. So uh, definitely great to see him doing so well, and looking forward to see what he does in uh, Firestone Indy Lights next year, as that is where we presume that he will be.
Unless there's anything else you would like to talk about, Paul, I think we're ready to call it a day. I got nothing. Okay, then let's wrap it up. And uh, we will be back possibly sans Paul next week. Are we sans Paul next week? That's think- to be that's uh that is to be determined. Right. Well, we'll we'll figure it out, but don't be surprised if you hear some different voices. Maybe that'll excite some people. <laughs> hey, let's, let's just say our favorite Dale Coin driver TBA is uh, scheduled to be in the second seat. Yes. Right. Um. So we'll we'll see how that plays out, but uh, we will be back in in some configuration and form for next week to bring you a preview of the uh, GoPro Grand Prix of Sonoma. And uh, as we mentioned, we're going to have that exciting program that we're rolling out starting at that race where we're going to be um, using some of our sponsorship support to to back some uh, Indianapolis area charities. And we're going to be announcing that and getting that underway in the next few days. Very excited to see what we can do with that and um, maybe earn some money for some well-deserving organizations while we're going to IndyCar races and reporting on everything that's happening and having some fun along the way. So can't complain. Life is good. But in the meantime, while you're waiting for us to return, and uh, we certainly hope that you do so, if you need IndyCar news and views, get a grip with more Front Wing.